Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, where we have a public service announcement. Please drink the radioactive Kool-Aid. Support a no-fly zone. Wait a minute. No, sorry. That's the the other media is running that PSA. Our PSA is uh, let's disrupt the war propaganda Kool-Aid party and question everything, including the complete nonsense that's flooding at us from the mainstream media. If you can't handle questions, don't ask them uh, and don't watch our show. And likewise, if disturbing disturbing disturbances disturb you, then either be disturbed or shut off your computer and stop being disturbed by our show. Finally, if you're worried about your physical and or mental health, see a practitioner, not us. Okay, enough for the disclaimers. Yeah, here's our our image today. The war propaganda Kool-Aid is uh, going out of style. And, you know, honestly, Mike, I'm not sure whether Jim Jones Kool-Aid is any more lethal than this propaganda Kool-Aid could be, because if they fall for it and it ends up pushing Biden into declaring a no-fly zone, which means attacking Russia, uh, then that's it. I think the planet is toast. No, exactly right. I, first, let me say, Dobre uh, den, spasiba for having me on, and I look forward to our discussion today. Okay, sounds good. Well, we do have one uh, PSA here besides this PSA for us. Speaking of which, I think we're a little short on our fundraiser for this week. So please, people, do uh, get that fundraiser fundraised for us. So Otherwise, I, I could just close my computer here and, oh, end of the show. Okay, now it's back open again. I, I guess I'm, I'm just going to have to threaten you with more cat videos, people. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, here's the other PSA, which is the... Pentagon Con with Richard Gage should be really good. Uh, Terry Mason, Barbara Honiger, Craig McKee, and Adam Ruff, and David Chandler slash Wayne Costi have four quite different uh, interpretations of what happened at the Pentagon on 9-11. But they all agree that it wasn't Hani Hanjur, who couldn't fly a Cessna, who piloted that plane through the amazing stunt flight. So we we all agree on that. But as far as what really happened, we haven't figured it out yet. Maybe if you watch the show, you can decide who you think is right. Um, uh, have you looked into that, Mike? Well, let me tell you, I, I have read things about Thierry Maison, and he's a good analyst. Barbara Honecker I've met, and Craig McKee, the Canadian, I've talked to a number of times. Uh, so I, I think you got a good lineup there, and uh, they're going to explode the lamestream media's lies about what really happened. Yeah, I wonder what Richard is going to think. In particular, I'm curious about what architects and engineers think about the forensic evidence in photographs that David Chandler and Wayne Costi have put out. They seem to have a, a pretty good, strong argument, and I'm, I'm waiting for somebody with forensic skills to poke holes in it. So I'm, I'm very interested in this conference. But let's get going on the week's news. We have all kinds of crazy news this week. Uh, first, uh, the pandemic is old news. The media keeps telling us these crazy truckers, they're protesting uh, vaccine mandates and all these mitigation measures and all that's been called off anyway. But still, the truckers are in D.C. talking with Ted Cruz and Ron Johnson. The good news is that Ted Cruz rolled up to the Capitol in a honking semi-truck supporting the truck. No, the bad news is that he was actually just honking at a 16-year-old intern. Oh, well. But, uh, Mike, uh, what do you think of the trucker protest? Is it already something we should forget about and just listen to war propaganda? No, I think it's produced results. The the one in Canada that that crazy Trudeau, uh, who uh, whose family has mental problems, uh, has accused them of attempting to overthrow the government, uh, and he refused to meet with them. Whereas uh, here in Washington, uh, there are some government officials meeting with the truckers and producing results. 
uh, I think that uh, both the Canadian truckers and the American ones have sufficiently scared the um, uh, the vaccine crazies here in the United States and Canada uh, that they're pulling in their horns and they're saying, well, no, you don't need a muzzle to go into a barber shop or to uh, uh, go in uh, to the gym or, or go to a restaurant. So uh, it's a, a total turnaround, a difference of day and night between today and a couple of weeks ago when Muriel Bowwowser and her pound puppies who masquerade as the D.C. government uh, simply uh, said, okay, you're going to do what we tell you to do or else. And now so it's, oh, yeah, you can do anything you want now. Yeah, the, the freedom protests won. Um, hmm. That's the good news. The bad news, of course, is that the authorities decided to have World War III instead, which is an even better excuse for clamping down on freedom and bringing in the Great Reset. So, well, you win some, you lose some. I guess we have to win the uh, the, the anti-war fight. Meanwhile, uh, the the Holocaust, the COVID Holocaust is officially over. Uh, we hit the 6 million figure, just like your car when it hits that 300,000 figure on the odometer. That's done. You better junk that car. Likewise, when the COVID Holocaust hits 6 million, the magic number has arrived and it's time to move on to the war on Russia. Um, so Holocaust, COVID Holocaust museums are sprouting up everywhere. Not, <laughs> uh, in fact, I think everybody's just going to forget the COVID Holocaust until, of course, the Western U.S. biolabs in Ukraine uh, leak their next version of COVID, which I'm hearing uh, from pretty well-placed sources, as in people close to high-level Russian government people, that the Russians are saying, and maybe this is propaganda, I don't know, that a much nastier version of COVID uh, is uh, on the agenda. And the the, uh, depopulation Malthusians in the Western power apparatus are going to be releasing this. It's a, it's like COVID very, very contagious, but it kills a much, much higher percentage of the people who catch it. I hope that's not true because in that case, that 6 million uh, COVID Holocaust might get much bigger. Well, I can believe that Uh, the Americans have been experimenting in the Ukraine and in other countries, uh, uh, with various gain of threat uh, functions for uh, the uh, various viruses they've been studying, so uh, yeah, they uh, they can roll out another one and another one and another one and uh, keep the fear alive. And, and that's the big story here is is that actually this transition from uh, the COVID Holocaust to the impending nuclear biological World War Three Holocaust is really a much more seamless transition than it might appear. That is, these two things are closely related because COVID is part of a biowar attack uh, and it's probably going to continue. And, and the big story this week was the uncovering of these U.S. biolabs in Ukraine. Here's Pepe Escobar analyzing the whole situation, taking the big view as he usually does. And as he points out, Russia had three reasons for launching this attack on Ukraine. First was uh, the uh, U.S. bioweapons labs in Ukraine. Uh, and then secondly was the nuclear weapons declaration by uh, Zelensky when he said that they were that Ukraine was going to look into uh, rearming with nuclear weapons. And then finally, the imminent attack on the Donbass, which would have brought massive civilian deaths among the Russian speakers in eastern Ukraine. So for all of those reasons, uh, Pepe Escobar says uh, Putin apparently felt he had no choice but to do this. And uh, I think Pepe is arguing that it will probably succeed, uh, most likely, 
in bringing about an even faster transition to the multipolar world centered on Eurasia. That is, the U.S. empire is uh, is toast. And Michael Hudson has been saying the same thing. We'll get to that story later. What do you think, Mike? Well, entirely right. I mean, Escobar, whom I met in, in Iran, uh, is very, very clear in his thinking. Uh, and uh, certainly the uh, the neo-Nazi government that Victoria Nuland, uh, who is now uh, under Secretary of State for Political Affairs, the number three position in the department, uh, she worked with Obama and uh, Hillary Clinton uh, to install a neo-Nazi government in Kiev uh, in 2014. And that government killed 14,000 uh, uh, Russian, uh, ethnic Russians in the Donbass eastern region of the country and uh, refused to sign, well, they signed, but refused to participate in the Minsk Accords that said no more shooting, no more killing, uh, withdraw to your borders, uh, let the, the uh, Lugansk and uh, uh, Donetsk, Donetsk, exactly, uh, sections of the Donbass become self-governing, and uh, we can go on from there. And, of course, uh, the, the neo-Nazis led by... Uh, reprehensible people like uh, the Jew, poor, what's his name, the Jewish candy king, Porosovich. Porochenko, you mean? Porochenko, yeah. And his successor, Zelensky, also another Jew, uh, have refused to uh, act sensibly on behalf of the, uh, the people in their country. And we will mention a couple of analysts who think that the Jewish ethnicity of the leaders of Ukraine and the leaders of the U.S. media and the leaders of the Western financial community is uh, relevant to all of this. Um, Philip Giraldi, I think, wrote that. We'll get to that story later. Meanwhile, um, are we in the middle of Biowar World War III? Well, it sure looks that way. This week, again, we mentioned this discovery uh, of the reality of many, perhaps well over two dozen U.S. Pentagon biological warfare sites in the Ukraine. And uh, Putin warned us about this many years ago. He said that he caught them uh, catch, uh, taking Slavic DNA. So they're working on, on a weapon to kill Slavs and leave non-Slavs intact, which may not work too well because so many of us share DNA with Slavs here in the United States. But I guess the war on white people, there are some people who like waging war on white people, so that, that might actually work out okay for them. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so Ron Unz and I did a, a story about this, the biological warfare dimension of impending World War III, and it's already pushing 20,000 views. We did it in the middle of this week. Uh, the previous video we did just broke 100,000 views. So people are apparently interested in this topic, whether they'll get interested enough to actually stop biological World War III before it kills us all, I don't know. Well, exactly right. I mean, the CIA has been con collecting uh, DNA from various uh, leaders and various organizations in various countries uh, so they can tailor make uh, a, a weapon against them. So I, I, I certainly believe that. I, I see no... Uh, uh, issue with that at all. In fact, I know a Russian uh, who follows international affairs fairly closely, and he said that the uh, the COVID uh, virus was directed against Iran and China. Indeed. And of course, that's what Ron Un said in his ebook, And that's why I've had him on to do these two uh, viral rumble videos about the impending or ongoing uh, biological World War III. And now there's the Russian uh, story uh, there that really broke open this week when Vicky Newland, the uh, neocon in chief who helped overthrow the previous neutral democratically elected government of Ukraine in 2014 and install a neo-Nazi supported uh, Jewish oligarch puppet regime, uh, she confessed 
in sworn testimony to Congress that indeed we have these bio labs in Ukraine and we're desperately cleaning them up, trying to get that stuff out of there before it falls into the wrong hands, namely the hands of the Ruskies. Uh, so her confession, uh, shocked, uh, the, uh, Marco Rubio who asked that question and probably wished he hadn't. <laughs> and so now Russia, as we see in the next slide, is telling the U.S., Hey, we found your biological weapons. Uh, you know, if you need them back, just come on down to the lost and found at the <laughs> Moscow post office. Well, the World Health Organization has come out and said recently that the Ukrainians ought to destroy this stuff because it's deadly uh, uh, bacteria and all kinds of other uh, viruses and uh, nobody should have this kind of thing. And, and so this, this confession of Victoria Newland uh, put the lie to the last month of U.S. mainstream media propaganda telling us that, oh, no, this is just Russian propaganda. There are no U.S. biolabs in Ukraine. Oh, no, nothing like that, nothing like that. And then you know, the Russians actually capture the labs and show us the documents at the same moment that Victoria Newland blurts out the truth in sworn testimony to Congress. Um, so uh, that's pretty funny. And so here's uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs spokesperson Maria uh, Zakharova um, basically saying, hey, we got you. <laughs> Uh, and then China confirmed it. China, which, of course, was probably the first target of the COVID biowarfare attack spearheaded uh, by the uh, the neocon wing of the Trump administration. Uh, China now is accusing the U.S. of uh, spreading biological warfare labs all over the world. Uh, 336 biolabs by Chinese count in 30 countries, including um, more than two dozen in Ukraine. Twenty six, the Chinese said, and others say even more. So the Chinese are on board with this, accusing the Americans of biowarfare, both in the Ukraine and by implication with the COVID bioattack on China and Iran, which is probably where COVID came from. Um, and then General Kirillov, we see in the next slide, who is the top Russian general dealing with biological threats, uh, made this statement on what he says are 30 U.S. biowarfare labs in Ukraine. The Russians have captured several of them. And uh, he said they were taking thousands of serum samples from infected individuals of Slavic ethnicity. And this was noted in the documents of Slavic ethnicity. And they were taken from the Ukraine to Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, uh, leading U.S. biowarfare facility here inside the United States. Well, the Russians captured all these documents. And so we may be treated to uh, an ongoing stream of these leaked uh, U.S. biowar documents, which will continue to rub the mainstream media's nose in the fact that it lied shamelessly about this for the past month. Well, I think there's a news flash for the uh, the Kaganate of Newlandia here in Washington, D.C. Uh, all the Slavs in the world don't live in Russia. They live in other countries, in the Balkans and elsewhere and in Central Europe. And Slavs are really just like the Rus are descendants of the Vikings. And likewise, a lot of French people are descendants of the Vikings and people from the British Isles, and especially people like me with some Irish and some Scottish ancestry are descendants of the Vikings. So we're all related to those Russian Slavs. And frankly, I don't want these idiots to start tinkering with biological weapons to, designed to kill my cousins. Uh, that's just not a good idea. Uh, and as we all learned from the COVID thing, assuming that was actually meant to target China, Iran, and nobody else, which is a dubious assumption. But if it was, then um, it's living proof of the old nostrum that biological warfare doesn't work very well because the blowback potential is mm -hmm. off the charts. So uh, maybe it's time to shut down the world's bio labs. And, and in the next couple of slides, we have the RT story about the Ukraine 
the American biolabs in Ukraine tinkering with bat coronaviruses. And again, my sources through veterans today and some Syrians with close ties to the Russian government are saying that it's not just bat coronaviruses, that they were making a much nastier version of COVID in these labs in Ukraine. And so the Russians, we see in the next slide, are calling for um, putting some teeth into the Bioweapons Convention of 1975. It was negotiated in 1972. It went into effect in 1975, but it lacks an international watchdog organization to verify compliance. So both sides have been shamelessly cheating ever since this treaty was enforced in 1975. And the Russians, let's face it, under communism at least, were cheating as badly as the Americans were. Uh, I have a book here called uh, Plague Wars. Here, let me show you. Plague Wars. Uh, if you want to see some evidence of massive Russian cheating, you can read this book. But then I also have a bunch of books about massive American cheating and uh, germ war crimes. Um, we have these books, Bitten by Chris Newby. This Must Be the Place by Dave Chaddock about the U.S. germ warfare in Korea. And then there is this uh, great book, very uh, little known, Germs Gone Wild by Kenneth King. Uh, about how after the anthrax inside job uh, following 9-11, the American biowar sector immediately saw its funding increased 800%, and the United States and the world have been dotted with biowarfare labs thanks to the funding that the biowarfare insiders created with their publicity stunt by murdering people with anthrax following 9-11, and then blamely pretending to blame the Muslims, but hardly even bothering to make it real, right? Uh, death to America, death to Israel. Allah is great. Right? I mean, uh, you can't make this stuff up. And then they got away with it and got an 800% budget increase. So I think uh, we need to listen to the Russians and put some teeth in the biowarfare convention. Um, exactly. Am I crazy exactly. or is somebody no. else crazy here? No, no. In fact, they're the existing chemical warfare convention has teeth and has inspections written into it, as I understand it. So I, I think bioweapons are far more dangerous than chemical weapons. And I think we need some real tough, tight uh, inspectors coming into this stuff. Yeah, I mean, if the only way you could get inspections of biological weapons facilities is to have invasions of countries that capture them, I mean, that's kind of a risky way of doing your inspections, you know, just like the uh, the Chernobyl thing where now we're worried about nuclear problems at these nuclear plants in Ukraine. Um, we need a better way to deal with these things than invasions and counter invasions and, uh, you know, putting first strike weapons right up against your adversary countries and things like that. We need a much more sane international environment, but it doesn't look like we're going to get one anytime soon. Um, all we're getting is propaganda and hey, how about the, uh, the, the propaganda? Oh, here's, here's a good example of, uh, what we get if we Google. This was not even just Googling biological weapons in Russia and China. This was just Googling the words Russia and China. And what do we get? All of these mainstream media uh, propaganda pushbacks against the truth that the U.S. bioweapons facilities in Ukraine just got exposed by everybody, including Victoria Nuland. And yet the entire mainstream media is walking in lockstep, probably ordered at, by the CIA Operation Mockingbird people to put out this counter propaganda. And this is what you get. Just Google Russia, China yesterday and you get all of these stories uh, trying to do damage control and try to trying to cover up this explosive discovery of U.S. biolabs in Ukraine. Uh, the propaganda is just so far off the charts, Mike. And and, and then, of course, what are, we're getting Putin, Hitler propaganda left and right in our next slide. Um, 
Uh, Ron Unz did a good article about this. And uh, did, did you read this, Mike? Yes, I did. It was very interesting, very penetrating. And it, it, it turns the, the current uh, explanation of the Second World War on its head. I, I'm still reading Carol Quigley's book, Tragedy and Hope. And he parrots the, the typical American line that Hitler was a madman and he had uh, visions of conquering the world. And he was very carefully working on this throughout the 20s and the 30s and so on and so forth. And it's, it's just uh, out of touch with reality, regrettably, because Quigley was a fairly good professor at Georgetown. Right. And, well, what you know, I think a lot of historians have obviously missed, perhaps partially intentionally, is that as far as I can tell, and I'm not an expert on the field, but I've, I've read dozens of books on the Second World War, um, mostly mainstream, some alternative. And it sure does look to me like uh, Hitler was not really in a hurry to have any big wars. Uh, he, he saw that as time went by, his position wasn't really going to get any better. What he wanted to do was to reunite Germany, because after World War I, Germany was chopped up into all these little pieces. And the reason that World War II started was that the British, in particular, uh, who were goaded by a particular sort of Anglo-Zionist contingent that had influence in the White House at the time as well, uh, essentially tricked Poland into stupidly refusing to negotiate over Danzig. Right? Danzig was technically in Poland, but it was actually uh, dominated by Germans. And they all wanted to go back and be part of Germany, which is what Hitler supported. So fair and reasonable negotiations would have solved that problem overnight. But the British managed to trick the Poles into remaining obstinate and refusing to make any concessions over Danzig because uh, the British said, we'll defend you. We'll make sure those nasty Germans can't do anything to you, which was nonsense. And the whole thing was a scam to start the war. So Hitler was tricked into invading Poland, which was the beginning of the war. And so Ron Unz points out that there is a, a comparison here. There is a real Putin-Hitler comparison, which is that neither one is a warmonger and that both uh, have been baited into starting what could become a bigger war by what's go been going on in these little ethnic breakaway regions, quote, quote unquote, breakaway regions. You know, Danzig is, was really German, just as uh, the, the Odansk and Lubesk uh, regions, uh, the Donbass, is really Russian. And so these these ethnic regions have been cleverly played by the same usual suspects of the Anglo-Zionist Empire to launch these two conflicts. So it turns out, yeah, Putin is kind of like Hitler in a way. Well, all you've got to do is look at Germany in 1918 and Germany in 1938. And as one old German woman told me that Hitler got jobs for the men and child support for the women. If he had quit while he was ahead, there'd be Hitler plots in every town in Germany with more than two streets. Indeed. And, and we could sit here and, and name all the bad things about Hitler, too, but I don't think we need to because you can find those and then some in the mainstream. Uh, so what we're interested in is helping round out the picture so you get an accurate view of the uh, gestalt uh, or the holistic reality. And so Ron's work is indispensable for that. And then in the next slide, we see another article on this uh, Putin-Hitler theme. Uh, this is pretty funny again, as C.J. Hopkins is back to doing a little uh, satire. It's kind of dark, bitter satire sometimes. Uh, he points out that it doesn't really matter who the masses are being told to hate this week. It's the Russians, the unvaccinated, the terrorists, the populists, the Assad apologists, the conspiracy theorists, the anti-vaxxers, the disinformationists, uh, whoever it is. I mean, you always have to hate somebody. 
Well, look at Canada. They had this nasty brown sauce that they pour all over French fries. And they call it poutine. And they felt, oh, we have to change this because that's the way you pronounce the president of Russia's name in Russian. Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah, I guess some some restaurants are uh, throwing out their Russian dressing, uh, just like they, they tried to get rid of French fries after Jacques Chirac refused to go along with the 9-11 scam and uh, invade Iraq with the Americans. So that'll sure teach them, you know, just like the French were just crying that we were getting rid of French fries, which have nothing to do with France. I'm sure the Russians are equally uh, heartbroken that we don't like Russian salad dressing anymore, which I don't think is particularly Russian. Um, I doubt anybody is throwing out their caviar, though. Uh, I guess a couple of liquor stores claim that they're getting rid of their vodka, but I think I know the way they're probably getting rid of it. Uh, and it's not the way that we Muslims would get rid of it. Uh, in any case, uh, so R- Russia, 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 Putin, 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 Hitler, Hitler, Hitler. It's the same old story all the time. And the lies have been just off the charts, right? The ghost of Kiev. Now, there's the ghost of Kiev, the mysterious Ukrainian fighter pilot. And they did story after story after story about this ghost of Kiev. And then they found his real name. And they counted how many Russian planes he'd shot down. Turns out the whole thing is pure BS. The, the footage came from a computer rendering of a combat flight simulator. And the supposed photo of the ghost of Kiev came from Poroshenko's 2019 Twitter post. And the New York Times is telling us, well, these may be completely insane propaganda lies, but they're good for Ukrainian morale. So maybe we should just keep telling them. Well, it's just a repeat of the Second World War propaganda, but the Japanese and you know, the little brown monkeys, uh, they, uh, there was the Batman series from the 1940s that looked like a declaration of war on Japan. It was so biased and prejudiced and so denigrating uh the, the Japanese, uh, so uh, yeah, it, it's uh, they just build on what they had before that all, already worked. You know, one one sentence stands out in this New York Times piece: the claims by Ukraine, that is, this lunatic ghost of Kiev thing, and the, we're going to get to the pregnant women's hospital story in a moment. Oh my goodness! Uh, but uh, the New York Times says the claims by Ukraine do not compare to the falsehoods being spread by Russia. <laughs> okay, so the ghost of Kiev, the biggest joke I've ever seen, uh, it, that doesn't, that, that's just a claim. But Russian falsehoods, what Russian falsehoods? Name me a couple of Russian falsehoods. I'm trying to find any of them. What I'm finding is that because Russia doesn't own the international Western media, they pretty much are stuck with using something with inhaling distance of the truth to try to get their point across, whereas the West... Uh, the Zionist occupied West, because it completely dominates the international media through the Western media, is able to get away with these outrageous lies. But of course, the New York Times uh, tells it the other way, because as Vicki Newland said, it's the, uh, uh, you know, they they uh, always accuse you of doing what they're doing themselves, right? Uh, the uh, the Russian screams with pain as he strikes you, was Vicki Newland's version of that old Polish proverb. Uh, so, oh boy, I, I, you know, New York Times is, is, uh, is so shameless. This harks back to like Judith Miller and the, you know, yeah. Iraqi WMD. Yeah. Um, and apparently they didn't learn anything from that. And they claim to be a newspaper of record. And when I was in graduate school reading about the uh, news media, uh, journalists and in smaller cities across the country will look at what's news in the New York Times and they will use this as a guide to their own reporting. 
So if you lie and lie and lie to the entire country, then the, every journalist in every small town in, in the country uh, will repeat the lies and look for more. So the New York Times is right that what the Ukraine and its international media people are putting out, that doesn't compare to what Russia's putting out at all. Russia's putting out mostly something related to the truth, and the other side is just lying shamelessly. But unfortunately, shameless lies can win the propaganda war because people aren't rational. People think with their emotions, and they don't know very much. And the Saker points this out in his article. He has... I think makes a pretty strong argument that Russia has been winning militarily uh, as it expected to. It's been, everything's going pretty much as planned from on the military front, but it's losing the propaganda war to the West. And the biggest reason for that, as mentioned, is that the Western media dominates global media and it's arrogant. And so it puts out these emotional propaganda lies. And unfortunately, they work. Yeah, they've been using it against Iran for years, and now we're seeing the same lies coming out of uh, uh, the American media and the government about uh, uh, Russian activities, and they're they're repeating what they did in Syria, where they accused the uh, the Russians of blowing up hospitals and using barrel bombs on civilian gatherings and so on and so forth, while completely ignoring what the Saudis are doing with American equipment to Yemen. Which is just vastly worse. The Saudis are bombing civilian targets regularly. They've killed almost 400,000 civilians in Yemen. And the Russians are actually, by all honest accounts, being pretty careful in the way they go into Ukraine. They could have taken the Ukrainian cities uh, much, much faster just by pulverizing the way the U.S. does in places like Fallujah. But they didn't because they consider Ukrainians their fellow Slavs and they know they're going to own the place after they break it. Um, but you wouldn't know this from listening to the Western mainstream media, which completely ignores the war crimes in Yemen and instead makes up all kinds of nonsense, as well as reporting some of the actual real death and suffering in Ukraine. Um, and speaking of New York Times insanity, how about this next story? Uh, this is uh, basically encouraging hate for Russians. They think it's great that the Ukrainians hate the Russians. And they quote the psychologist Alfka Koba in Kiev saying that, you know, anger and hate is normal and valid. It's a good reaction. It's important to validate it. If you're a psychiatrist, you've got to validate the hatred of your patients. But it's important to channel it into something useful, she said, such as making incendiary bombs out of empty bottles. Hmm. That's what you should, you should hate. And then you should make uh, Molotov cocktails and uh, burn people to death. Hmm. I think the psychiatrist needs treatment herself. <laughs> Oh, boy. I mean, imagine if somebody was saying this like, uh, you know, let's say the saying this to the white people in America who feel like they're losing their country because they are. They're going to be another just another minority in another decade or two. So, hey, yeah, you should hate all the non-white people. And it's important to channel your hatred into something productive, like making Molotov cocktails so you can burn people to death. Right. So if a white if if the pro-white people start saying that somehow I would understand why uh, they would get a scolding from any sensible person. But if the New York Times says it to Ukrainians, it's fine. Go ahead, burn people to death. That's channeling your hatred in a, a productive direction. Oh, my goodness. And Molotov cocktail is a Russian word named after a Russian governmental official. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, for, they're not mentioning it here. The New York Times is calling it an incendiary bomb. I would have thought they would have tried to emphasize the Russian nature of it. But I guess since they like Molotov cocktails, they don't want to admit that they're Russian because nothing good can be Russian. Right. Um, oh, well, uh, in our next slide, 
here is the New York Times once again uh, celebrating uh, a fat-assed mercenary. I mean, look at that. I guess you can see it in our slide here. But if, if in the original, uh, the original New York Times edition, uh, below that backpack, there is a huge rear end on this guy. He must have retired a while back because I know the Marines wouldn't let him grow that uh, in boot camp. <laughs> And so Hector, the Marine with a fat rear end, boarded the flight on Warsaw on Friday. He's going to need first class to fit that in there uh, to help Ukraine fight against Russia. Well, Hector, listen, that big fat rear end of yours is going to have a big target painted on it. So good luck. Well, that's what they were doing, uh, recruiting terrorists for Afghanistan and Syria. Uh, and um, the British wanted uh, to uh, ship more off their paratroop regiment people and Marines to Syria. Uh, because they were such good fighters. And the, the, uh, the articles I had read in, in doing my book, Visas for Al-Qaeda, uh, showed that uh, they found all kinds of parish, um, um, berets uh, from these organizations uh, floating all over Syria. So uh, uh, it, it's pretty dumb uh, because they lost eventually. Right. And, and actually, to, to be fair here, there are people from both sides of the Syrian conflict going to fight in Ukraine. I think it's mostly the uh, al-Qaeda types that you're familiar with, Mike, from your book, Visas for Al-Qaeda. You know, you were a State Department employee in uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, basically ordered to validate visas for al-Qaeda terrorists, who were, of course, in reality, al-CIA, the terrorists. So it's not surprising that those same kinds of people are heading for Ukraine. So uh, moving on to Russia, where the, the U.S. media and the Soros CIA-funded wing of the Russian media are trying to get some anti-war action going to try to slow down the Russian offensive against Ukraine. And so this particular website is ovidinfo.org, which is apparently funded by the CIA, George Soros, and the EU. Um, you know, if I if I were Russian and I didn't like this war, I still wouldn't want to have anything to do with these oligarch, you know, American funded operations. Unfortunately, those operations have totally compromised uh, the opposition in Russia. Uh, so uh, basically, uh, I have a message for Putin. Listen, Putin, please stop rounding up people who attend fake anti-war protests organized by the CIA and George Soros. Instead. I think you should consider killing the creeps who organize these protests, starting with CIA director William J. Burns and, of course, George Soros himself. You must have some drones that could reach those guys. Yeah. I'm being facetious here. I hope uh, the <laughs> NSA understands that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's uh, we got this long string of these anti-war protests in Russia stories, and here's the next one. Well, uh, thousands detained. This one's for, uh, next one's from, like, RT. And... Uh, of course, compare a few thousands in Russia protesting this war to the millions who protested before the U.S. Uh, invaded and genocided Iraq. Now, those protests of millions of people all over the world, biggest anti-war protests ever, were almost completely blacked out by the Zionist oligarch-owned media, whereas these protests of handfuls of thousands of people in Russia, organized by the CIA and George Soros, are trumpeted like crazy in the mainstream media. I think the next story is the New York Times version of this. Yeah, well, I've got a Russian contact who's told me that he's seen some of these demonstrations and the police outnumbered the protesters. 
Right. Well, you know, the FBI uh, was the main source of membership in the Communist Party in the 1950s. So that's that's pretty much what to expect. But of course, is it that is, you know, if you did one of these if Americans knew type comparisons, you know, Alison Weir at if, if Americans knew, she goes and she looks at the media, how, how much emphasis the New York Times gave per Palestinian death compared to per Israeli death. And she mm-hmm. finds that the New York Times thinks that Jewish people or Israelis, their lives are worth something like a 100 or a thousand times as much as Arab people or Palestinians. So, of course, the New York Times is systematically racist. And if you did the same kind of comparison here, comparing the millions and millions of people all over the world who protested the 9-11 false flag incited Iraq invasion versus the few thousands of people in Russia protesting now, uh, which anti-war protesters does the New York Times value and which ones does it not value? You get the same thing. You know, they value the George Soros CIA organized anti-war protesters in Russia, maybe a thousand times as much or more as the honest uh, anti-Iraq invasion protesters. Entirely correct. So next. Uh, oh, we have we have more uh, media disinformation, although this isn't from New York Times for once. This is from Twitter, an English Luhansk. Twitter account, which is obviously a, a Ukro-Nazi account because it's the Ukro-Nazis who've been bombing uh, an artillery uh, barraging the civilian people in Donbass for eight years now. So those are the heroes being celebrated by this tweet. Uh, they've been slaughtering civilians for eight years, and here they claim to have shot down a Russian plane. Although, I mean, this looks to me to be just about as much proof that they really shot down a Russian plane as a lot of UFO videos are proof that the aliens landed on the White House lawn. What do you think, Mike? (laughs) I I think it's kind of hard to figure out what's happening there from a couple of smoke trails and a black dot on the screen. I I think like the Pentagon video that they finally released. (laughs) (laughs) They're making uh, uh, they're trying to make gold out of straw. And unfortunately, they don't have any straw. Yeah, well, some people have the reverse Midas touch and everything, you know, all the gold they touch turns to excrement. And that's, uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's pretty much what the media is doing as far but, you know, apparently a lot of people are lapping up the excrement. So what can I say? Uh, <laughs> now let's get to the PSYOP of the week. Here's the media PSYOP. Of the, and we had a lot of media PSYOPs this week. But this one, this is like Sandy Hook Redux, except, you know, with Sandy Hook, I'm not even sure that people like Jim Fetzer are entirely right about everything they say about Sandy Hook. However, <laughs> looking at this, okay, this is this, like the CNN or whatever story or Newsweek. Um, Russia bombs the uh, hospital for pregnant women, the maternity hospital. Uh, this is suddenly, you know, everybody's alarm bells go off. Hmm, baby incubators, right? Uh, the yeah, U.S. Yeah. went into Iraq in, in the Gulf War One, thanks to Congress being persuaded to approve it because the Kuwaiti ambassador's daughter, dressed up as Nurse Naira, claiming to be an ordinary Kuwaiti nurse, claimed to have seen the evil Iraqi soldiers bashing the little baby's brains out, uh, taking them from their baby incubators and bashing their little brains out. Um, so we have the same kind of thing happening here. This so-called maternity hospital hadn't been functioning as a maternity hospital for years. This is what Fetzer says about Sandy Hook School, which I don't think is necessarily true, but it is true here. And so this fake hospital was actually a military site for the Ukro-Nazis, and naturally it was going to get bombed. And so those Ukro-Nazis had a model. This woman, uh, what, what is her name? Uh, I, I forget her name. Anyway, we found her modeling page. So they took this the one woman, uh, one, they got one pregnant woman, and they went and they uh, carried her out of the hospital on a stretcher. 
And then they have other pictures of her walking down the stairs, leaving the hospital. Uh, they Then they have her, like, standing up outside the hospital after she's supposedly been carried on a stretcher. There's only that one woman. She's the only supposed victim here. And, and she's she's a professional model and actress. So, uh, and it goes on from there. So people should read the Veterans Today story for, for the full expose. And, you know, Jim Fetzer is having acid flashbacks to Sandy Hook when he sees this. <laughs> Well, and the whole thing was uh, the windows were blown out. Uh, there was no bodies lying around. There was no blood. Uh, and uh, the uh, things that I saw talked about the uh, the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion, which is part of the Ukrainian Armed Forces. Uh, that was one of their, their headquarters, and they were working out of the building. So I, I think that uh, uh, we need a little bit of truth about the, the Yukis and the uh, the people that they deal with. So, so the way they probably did this was they knew they were going to get bombed at some point. And so they, yeah, they're probably operating out of the basement of the hospital. And meanwhile, they've hired this actress or model and they, you know, keep her nearby, maybe, you know, down the street or something. And so when the bombs go off, okay, it's time for our little Hill and Knowlton type public relations operation. Come on down. We'll carry you down the stairs in a stretcher and then make the entire world uh, weep crocodile tears for these poor pregnant women being bombed by the evil Russians. Oh, Just man. like they did in, in Syria. And we all know this because the American news media said it was so. And people lapped it up, including people at the uh, the care office here in Washington. Well, you know, speaking of, of du- dubious Slavic women, and hey, I, I, no, no racist insults intended. I, I like Slavic women. They're fine. They're just and Slavic men and whatever. Slavic people. They're great. Um, anti-racist disclaimer. However, uh, here there, we have two dubious Slavic women. First, that uh, pregnant model in the previous story. And now, Maria Baranova. Now, Maria Baranova just resigned as managing editor from Russia today. Now, she was a pussy rioter meaning she was one of these uh, punk chicks that took money from Soros uh, and followed his orders to go uh, vandalize uh, Russian holy sites and religious sites um, and then you know strip off their clothes and film pornography in, in churches and things like that. So that was her job for Soros originally. And somehow she infiltrated Russia today, which doesn't surprise me because RT, ever since uh, the CIA and or Mossad murdered Mikhail Lesson in 2015 in a hotel room in Washington, D.C., RT has refused to cover 9-11 truth. They're totally Zionist dominated in many respects. And so they, and they're hiring pussy rioters like Maria Baranova. So now she resigns out of protest against the evil Russian war effort. Uh, and okay, what's she going to do now? I guess she's going to go back to pussy rioting for Soros. <laughs> well, I mean, she's a chemist and she'd been jailed at one point, And she was a leader of the opposition to the legitimate government of the Russian Federation. Uh, so I am not quite sure how the hell she got hired, but uh, it's good for RT that she's gone now. Well, they, they had a coup. They murdered Michelle uh, Lesson, yeah. the founder yeah. of uh, RT, and they had a coup in place. I don't know if the Zionists, probably was the Zionists. They have a lot of assets in Russia. Hmm. Uh, so they had the right, their right people. And they basically stopped RT from pursuing the truth. Before yeah. 2015, RT was doing great work on a lot of hmm. issues, including 9-11 truth. Post-2015, they've been Zionist dominated. They, yeah. they'll, okay, you know, they're a little better than the New York Times, which isn't saying much. But, uh, and on certain other issues that the Zionists don't care about, they're fine. But let's face it, RT has been owned and operated by Zionists since the founder was murdered in 2015. And they so, used to, uh, interview me from time to time. And the guy who was murdered, the DC government 
did a very lackluster investigation of what happened and claimed, oh, well, uh, uh, he drank himself to death. He fell over in the room and, and hit his head, and that's why he's dead. And, um, well, let's hope that uh, Putin manages to uh, reform the Russian media, and we do have a story coming up about that. Uh, meanwhile, though, um, we're getting into our censorship section here. Larry Romanoff, uh, an American exile in China, wrote a terrific article this week on information blockades. Uh, you know, we're hearing about, and we'll talk about in a moment, how the Russian government is cracking down on its opposition media right now. But let's face it, the Western media is at least equally controlled and much nastier in many ways. Uh, Larry Romanoff talks about the, quote, nearly universal control of all Western media by a relatively small handful of people, all Jews. This includes the news services like AP and Reuters, uh, that the newspapers, the most recognized newspapers, magazines, radio, TV stations and networks, virtually the entire book publishing industry, all of the social media and related Internet platforms like Wikipedia and Google fact checkers like the Despicable Pointer Institute, as well as 90 percent of Hollywood, which includes both motion pictures and television programs. And then he goes on and talks about how it isn't just that. It isn't just that they own the whole media. But when any kind of competition at all arises or any independent reporting they don't like, they kill people. Um, he talks about how Al Jazeera was repeatedly bombed uh, during the uh, post 9-11 period. The uh, large number of reporters for various international media outlets were murdered by a U.S. Army Abrams tank at the Palestine Hotel in Baghdad. Uh, the U.S. military in Iraq routinely targets and kills journalists. Um, they bombed and blew an entire hospital to rubble, killing all of the doctors, nurses, and patients because the doctors and nurses in that hospital had been doing media work about the deformed babies who'd been born because America littered Iraq with depleted uranium. And so they just bombed the hospital full of people and murdered all those people. That's just another typical operation in the way that the bad guys, and I'm talking about the, the West, which is owned by evil psychopathic oligarchs does media control. And Larry Romanoff goes on and on about it. And I really urge everybody, if you're going to read one article this week, read, read this one by Larry Romanoff. I agree. Okay. And uh, every now and then you get, uh, you know, an outlet that you think is honest. And then suddenly, oops, turns out it wasn't. How about DuckDuckGo, which now you can call DuckDuckGone. The CIA Gabriel Weinberg, who is believed to be of... Eskimo ethnicity, <clears throat> and indeed a member of the cartel of Eskimo billionaires that completely control Western media, uh, just announced that, hey, from now on, DuckDuckGo, which bills itself as an honest search engine, will make sure that they don't uh, allow any Russian propaganda, that is anything that deviates from the mainstream media propaganda line, to sneak through and get up high in their rankings. Oh, boy. Uh, so from now on, folks, uh, go to Yandex, Y-A-N-D-E-X. It is Russian. But their English version of Yandex doesn't do any tweaking at all. So you're going to get exactly what people are seeing on the Internet if you search for something using Yandex. So thank God for the Russians. Without the Russians, we wouldn't have any honest search engines in English. Yeah, I mean, DuckDuckGo used to uh, give me information I couldn't get from Google that was uh, disparaging of the American government. So obviously... Uh... They've changed their style, given the, uh, Mr. Weinberg and his Eskimo uh, antecedents. Uh, so I, I think that uh, your recommendation for Yandex should be a good one. Now, I understand that Yandex in Russia uh, is definitely uh, manipulated and tweaked. 
which so we don't want to you know make Russia out to be a total libertarian paradise, which it obviously isn't, and even less so now in the midst of a very uh, dangerous defensive war. Um, and speaking of the fact that the war in Ukraine is a defensive war by Russia against a blitzkrieg by NATO, let's watch Oliver Stone's documentary. Oops, we can't watch it on YouTube anymore. YouTube purged it. Wow. Okay. Uh, but it is still available on Rumble. So far, Rumble is actually being pretty good about uh, leaving stuff up, including our show. So shout out to Rumble. And I do hope the people running Rumble, uh, whatever their ethnicity, and I don't distinguish people. I mean, they're good people and bad people from every ethnicity. Uh, hopefully the Rumble uh, leadership will continue to allow relatively free expression. Well, the, the thing is that uh, Netflix has a program on uh, talking about how wonderful the, the revolution in 2014 was and how it saved the Ukraine and gave them freedom. Oh, man. So, uh, I think them and the Yukis uh, are uh, living in the twilight zone. Well, this documentary by Oliver Stone is, is excellent, and it's pretty fair and balanced. I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, hardcore, total nothing but the Russian propaganda side. It does kind of look at both sides, but it, it does sort of help you figure out which side is telling the truth. And uh, as our viewers know, I mean, I, I have my views about that. So does uh, Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano. Uh, he's the former apostolic nuncio to the United States of America from the Vatican. And he just wrote a brilliant piece on the Russia-Ukraine crisis and its historical context. Uh, this piece, uh, he, he, in it, he points out that NATO has failed to keep its commitments to Russia. He talks about the Pentagon's biowar labs in Ukraine, which we already mentioned, and uh, they're connect collecting genomic data on Slavs. Uh, he mentions the reality of the CIA Maidan coup in 2014. That wasn't any people's revolution. That was another CIA coup, just like we've seen in so many places around the world. And uh, here's a very high-level Vatican guy actually telling the truth about it. So Vigano is pretty impressive. He's the kind of guy, you know, I, if, if he were Pope, I would have a lot more uh, respect for the Catholic Church. Well, the uh, he is the guy who is greatly admired by an attorney I know in Texas and by a journalist in Northern Virginia. Uh, they sent me a lot of his stuff, and he is brilliant to the point, although this article here is, is kind of lengthy, uh, but he makes sense, and unfortunately, uh, the, the current pope doesn't make too much sense, and he is roundly condemned, in fact, by the attorney in Texas. So instead of pope, he's just sort of Vatican's uh, appointed truth teller, or maybe self-appointed truth teller, which actually is a more honorable honorable role as far as I'm concerned. Um, not being a papist myself, I have no particular uh, belief in any infallibility of popes or anything like that. And in this case, I would say if anybody's uh, views are, are are less fallible, it would be Vigano's. So uh, next, moving on to, to Russia, where the great patriotic restoration is in progress, hopefully restoring the Russian Orthodox Church, which was basically genocided by the communists. And, you know, my I had a couple of Marxist radio guests on my show last night. You probably wouldn't agree with me on that part. But uh, as far as I've seen, there was really a very nasty sort of culturally genocidal war against religion in the Soviet Union. And now that's gone, thank God, like so many other bad things from the Soviet era. And we are seeing now, uh, as this Ukraine war uh, triggers a kind of a showdown in Russia, what the uh, the author here, uh, Ros Rolo Slavsky, calls the Great Patriotic Restoration, uh, where the government in Moscow is now uh, shutting down the Soros-friendly uh, outlets like Echo Moscow, 
Now, he, he says this is huge. It's, it's as if the Democratic Party shut down Fox News in the United States, which actually could happen if Tucker Carlson keeps telling the truth about <laughs> Vicki Newland uh, blurting out facts about the biolabs in Ukraine. Uh, but anyway, it's happening now in uh, in Russia. Tikhan Zadkyo, the Jewish editor-in-chief of Echo Moscow, uh, just fled the country. And then the village, which is a, a slightly smaller uh, project, was also shut down. And Maduska, which publishes vice op-eds in Russian word for word, had already had to flee last year. Uh, Radio Free Europe, the CIA propaganda outfit, has had to relocate from Moscow to Kiev, <laughs> which is maybe not such a good place to be right now. <laughs> and as the author points out, naturally, most of these media projects are run by Jews and promote the same neoliberal agenda that their cousins in the West promote. Um, so now the Russians are talking about not only getting rid of their fifth column treasonous uh, Soros media, but they're also floating the idea of a sweeping economic nationalization program where they will seize the assets of the Western oligarchs who try, who are still trying to buy up Russia. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, this is all great because even as, as much as I like liberalism in certain respects in practice, the oligarchs in charge of the West are so evil that anybody who declares war on them is probably doing the right thing. And that seems to be what's happening in Moscow. Well, it's happened in Hungary. Uh, Viktor Orban has uh, kicked out Soros and his crowd, and suddenly now he is the target because he is the arch enemy of peace, freedom, and justice to all the minorities in the world. And uh, he should let in millions and millions of illegal aliens to change the nature of Hungarian society. So I, I, I think this is entirely correct, and I think that anybody who challenges Soros, uh, who is still alive and who... Uh, is uh, very, very influential, uh, is uh, the kind of person we need to get rid of. This article also mentions RT. And as we mentioned earlier, it would be nice if a more um, honest RT could emerge from all of this. In this article, the author points out that Margarita Simonian, uh, the managing or the, the uh, basically, she's been running RTs uh, for quite a while. She has She's doing what Mikhail Lesson used to do before he got murdered. Uh, she has not platformed genuine dissident voices on either RT or Sputnik. And I can testify to that because over the past five or six years, I've been invited onto RT numerous times. And when the journalist is all set to interview me, they've got every time over and over it's happened that somebody, some higher up puts the kibosh right before I'm about to start talking. Oh, I'm sorry. We can't do this interview. This is, it's, it's almost starting to feel like kind of a personal insult. Uh, so that Zionist coup, uh, or liberal, neoliberal Zionist, whatever it is, that coup at RT needs to be reversed. And it looks like, uh, Russia is moving in the direction of purging itself of these neoliberal, uh, Zionist, well, hopefully, uh, the Zionist influences too, although that's actually going to be harder due to the power of Israel. Yeah. Well, the, uh, RT, uh, according to a contact I have, uh, Drop me because I'm a conspiracy theorist, and every time I mention on Sputnik and uh, uh, any other uh, Russian service uh, about uh, uh, the uh, uh, our, our Hebrew brethren, the Zebrews, uh, yes, in, in a negative fashion, uh, wham! That's that's uh, eliminated from uh, the transcription of my remarks. Interesting. Yeah. Well. Uh, so the, there's this media war going on, 
And the people that I would consider relatively good guys, I think, are on the upswing in Russia uh, and around the world. The, what we hear in the Western Zionist-dominated mainstream media is all uh, uniformly, oh, the whole world, the whole world hates Russia. The whole, whole world is sanctioning Russia. The whole world is isolating Russia. Putin's doomed. Everybody hates him. But every once in a while, a little bit of truth sneaks through, even in the mainstream media, as it did in this Washington Post story, <laughs> headlining outside the West, Putin is less isolated than you might think. What do you mean less isolated? He's not isolated at all. Of Only one of the world's 10 most populous nations has even sanctioned Russia at all, and that is, of course, the United States. The other nine of the world's most populous nations have not. Uh, South Africa's Zuma is calling Putin a man of peace. Turkey is scrupulously neutral. China is strongly pro-Russia. In India is moderately pro-Russia, and on and on. And South Africa is very strongly pro-Russia, uh, and and at the uh, is it, so the bottom line here is that this Washington Post story is actually understating the case, and that everything you're hearing about how isolated Russia and Putin are is BS. Well, I think the uh, what they've done is they are creating uh, a multipolar world uh, by mistake, uh, and that uh, you will have people in Southeast Asia and South Asia and in, in other parts of the world, like Africa. A lot of the uh, the countries that uh, didn't support the American resolution against Russia at the UN uh, were African countries, and certainly Latin America is no fan of the United States, given uh, past American depredations down there. So I, I think the Washington Post uh, made a mistake in, in actually referring to the truth. They did. So who's behind this war on Russia? Well, it's the usual suspects, the neocons, as uh, Philip Giraldi, the former CIA officer, points out in this new article. Um, and one of the mo possible motives here for stirring up this war uh, between NATO and Russia is that uh, the Ukraine has a core population of 43,000 Jews, as well as a, a total of about 200,000 who are technically eligible for Israeli citizenship. Uh, they have enough uh, Jewish background for that. So 200,000 potential new Israeli citizens, they need more people they can stamp as Jews so they can continue their ethnic cleansing and domination of Palestine. And it's ver therefore very much their advantage, just like Charlie Hebdo was to their advantage to try to scare French Jews out of France into Israel. That's uh, possibly one of the motivations in any case, whether that's true or not. Giraldi points out that these neocons, who are indeed 90% uh, plus of that particular ethnicity and loyalty to Israel, are behind the trouble with Ukraine. Well, they, they keep expanding miraculously. Uh, originally, there were only 10,000 Jews left in the Ukraine and 3,000 had emigrated to Israel. And now we have hundreds of thousands. Uh, that, that's really interesting. And if, if true, uh, and would, as you said, explain... They must be mar marrying young and having very large families. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I think what you say is true. Well, I think you're always onto something with this article. Uh, so next article. Uh, and this is another of those kind of uh, long reads that's worth reading. Michael Hudson, our leading geostrategy-oriented economist, says, hey, this is it. U.S. empire is self-destructing. Um, U.S. diplomats themselves are ending international dollarization, which is the basis of the American empire, the ability to print green paper and force others to give us real goods and services in exchange for that worthless green paper. Uh, now, by sanctioning Russia, that's the equivalent of Russia imposing tariffs and building up its own industrial production. 
Um, so now Russia, Hudson says, is discovering MMT, modern monetary theory. They're discovering they don't need to be pegged to or reliant on the dollar. They can hoard a bunch of gold assets, print their own currency, pay their own people in their own currency, trade in their own currencies rather than dollars. And that's all going to happen much, much faster. We're just going to kill the U.S. empire. So this is a self-inflicted wound once again by the managers of the American empire. Well, Hudson's not the only one who's saying that. I, I've seen other articles where they talk about, well, we'll switch to yuan or we'll switch to barter. We'll switch to euros. We'll switch to something else other than the almighty American dollar that is no longer mighty. So how can the United States preserve its empire after shooting itself in the foot repeatedly with like 9-11 and this wasting of, of seven, eight, ten trillion dollars fighting people who should be our allies uh, on behalf of Israel? You know, self-inflicted wound after self-inflicted wound. How can we recover? Well, Donald Trump has an idea. Here's how we can get our empire back. Let's false flag Russia into having a nuclear war with China. Uh, we will bomb the believe out of Russia using F-22 fighter jets emblazoned with a Chinese flag. And Donald Trump will put you in the pilot seat while you do that. And, and then when nuclear winter arrives and freezes us all to death, at least uh, Russia and China won't own the world. Um, once again, uh, Trump mm, exposes himself as a very stable genius. Oh, man. I mean, that that's he's digging. He's no one to stop digging when he's deep in a hole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you see, I, I wonder if things would be any worse if Trump were still in power. You know, they might actually be better because uh, veterans today uh, recently got confirmation from the GRU, the Russian intelligence agency, that, yeah, Trump is our guy, just like you've been saying all these years. So maybe if Trump were in power, we wouldn't have World War Three. So actually, uh, <laughs> you know, having a Russian agent as president of the United States might actually be better than the alternative. But uh, anyway, we'll see how it all plays out. It's all in the hands of Allah, after all. Well, <laughs> and Putin, yeah. Uh, so, so let's end with a heart lifting uh, story uh, <laughs> of brave Ukrainian uh, drag queens. No, she's not actually Ukrainian, um, and she's not uh, under attack by Russia, and she's certainly not pregnant. A pregnant drag queen, in fact, a hospital full of pregnant drag queens being bombed by Russia would be the ultimate story. But I guess the propagandists didn't dream that one up yet. Instead, the drag queen is under fire for calling Biden senile and being like an anti-Biden drag queen. So Lady Bunny, uh, you know, you, you probably should have kept your mouth shut about Biden being senile. Even though it's the truth. Even though it's the truth, because the House Democrats are going to regret inviting you to entertain their gala. Well, uh I guess it's a gala day for them and maybe even a fake gala uh, today. And who knows what they'll be calling a gal tomorrow. This is False Flight Weekly News. They do it. We report it. Uh, Kevin Barrett with J. Michael Springman. Thank you, J. Mike, for another great show. That's me, Daniel. Okay. That's Thanks to all our viewers and supporters. And Alan in the control booth. See you all next week. Inshallah.